Amen. Now turn with me this morning in your Bible to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 16 right through to verse 23. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Let's hear the word of God. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of unholy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which ye have not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increases with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now this morning we are continuing our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians. And today my text is Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 and 17. Now look at the scripture. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Now, I've entitled this message, Is the Christian Life by the Law or by the Lord? You see, remember, this was an infant church mostly made up of Gentiles who'd been converted out of paganism. And as this infant church was progressing and growing, false teachers come in with false teaching. And they said to these people, in order to be a true Christian and a full assurance of faith, you need to be physically circumcised. Or you need special wisdom that only our elite group can part to you. Or you also need the mediation of angels. And remember, that's the context, the background. And Paul is dealing with that. And Paul is setting forth this glorious truth, thinking of Christ, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And he adds, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You don't need physical circumcision, because you're alive spiritually in Christ. 
You don't need this wisdom that they're talking about because Christ has made unto you the wisdom of God. You don't need the mediation of angels because you have got all the fullness of the Godhead bodily found in Christ. And if you're in union with Christ, you're alive. And if you're in union with Christ, all your sins are forgiven of past, present, thought, word, and deed. They're all under the blood. And not only are you alive and forgiven, but you've been delivered from sin and Satan by the power of Christ because of the triumph of Christ. He has triumphed over sin and Satan by his death and blood shedding on the cross. Now, that's where we're at. That's what we have dealt with so far in the past. But then you see there was a new query come up. What is the Christian's relationship to the Old Testament law. If we're alive, forgiven all our sins, if there's been deliverance from certain things, then what is the Christian's relationship to the law? What about the dietary laws in the Old Testament? What about drink? What about the holy days? What about the new moon festivals? Or what about the Sabbath days? You see, false teachers who had come into this church were argumentating that you need to abide by these Old Testament laws. The ceremonial aspect, the civil aspect, in order to be saved. In order to be sanctified, holy. In order to be a truly spiritual individual. In order to have full assurance of faith. Basically what they're saying, it's great that you profess to be saved, but, but you really lack fullness. And um, you, you lack complete assurance. You lack holiness. Well, how would I get full assurance? How would I get uh, a, a fullness of holiness? Uh, how, how, how would I get um, a, 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 a spirituality? Well, you, you need to abide by the ceremonial law. You need to abide by the civil aspects of the Old Testament law if you really want to enjoy fullness. So, so basically what they're saying is this. It's great you've got Christ, but you need to add to Christ a big deal of Jewishness. And Christ plus a big dose of Jewishness represents real Christianity. Now, is that right? Is the Christian life by the law? Or is it exclusively and solely by the Lord? That's what we want to think about today. You see, Paul demolished that line of thought that the uh, Christian life is Christ plus a big dose of Jewishness. He, he denounces that line of thought. And he's been doing so since chapter 2, verse 8 Right through when he said, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Basically, what he's telling them is this You're not only alive, folks, in Christ, you're not only forgiven all your sins, you're not only delivered from Satan and from the, the condemnatory part of the law. But you're free and delivered from all religious rituals and rules. And here's the reason why you're in Christ. And you have a union that's a full union in Christ. Now that's what we're going to think about for the next 20 minutes.
Don't, don't, don't time me, all right? Three things. There's an explanation to understand here. Look at the words, let no man therefore judge you. Underline the word therefore. There's two things I want to try and explain. An explanation to understand here. First of all, the sin of legalism. You see, sadly many in the Christian church have tolerated, embraced, held on to what I'm going to call the sin of legalism. You see, many are surprised to learn that legalism is a sin at all. Legalists, well, they're a bit overzealous in the church. They're, they're super spiritual. But to think of a legalist as someone who's sinning against the Lord, he's, he's, he's like a thief. He's on the status of a murderer or, or an adulterer. You see, they, they can't understand that. They're surprised at that. Because in their heart and mind, Legalism appears or seems to appear to promote holiness. Seems to have a valid concern and mindset for godliness and for spirituality. Now here's Paul's answer. No. Legalism is a grave sin. Legalism is an aggressive evil. And it has to be opposed. It has to be rejected by everyone that is in union with Jesus Christ. If you're truly saved by the grace of God, through faith alone in Christ alone, you have to reject the sin of legalism in all its forms. You see, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 to 23, the apostle Paul is teaching the believers at Colossae, to completely, to strongly, and to deliberately reject the legalist approach to the Christian life. And all that ritual and rule that was promoted by these false teachers. In other words, it is no minor sin. Suppose I was to stand in the pulpit and say to the young men here, I forbid you to marry. Or suppose I said, does anybody here like pork? Put your hand up. Well, I forbid you to eat pork from this day forward. And if you marry, and if you eat pork, you cannot be a true Christian. What would you say? What would the elders say? What would the deacons say? What would you say to me in the pew? You see, the Apostle Paul dealt with this. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4 and verse 1 to 3. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Listen to this. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God had created to receive with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. See, that's what legalism does. It forbids to marry. It commands you to abstain from certain meats, and it says you can't be saved. You can't be sanctified. You, you can't be truly spiritual. 
See, see, what, what does legalism mean? If, when I talk about legalism, how do you understand it? Is it rejecting every rule and every commandment as taught in the Bible? No. Turn over there to John chapter 14. Remember what the Lord Jesus said in John 14 and in the verse 15. John 14 and 15. The Savior said this. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now I hear Christians telling me, but we're not under the law. We're under grace. But remember, that expression, under the law, just means that you're being delivered from being under the condemnatory part of the law. But you're not delivered from the commanding power of the law. The law of God is universal in the Ten Commandments, so the moral law of God applies to God's people, and we delight in that law. We love that law because we're found in union with Christ. And we don't keep the law in order to be saved. We keep the law as evidence that we are Christians, and we delight ourselves in what God has revealed. So when I define legalism this morning, I'm not rejecting the moral law of God as revealed in the Ten Commandments. But I am rejecting every man-made rule, whether it's ritualistic or religious. Because at the heart of legalism is a spirit of pride. And the legalist prides himself in keeping certain standards and uses them to judge others harshly who do not keep those standards. And the legalist thinks that he or she is acceptable to God either for salvation or sanctification or spirituality because they keep certain rules and they, they, they conform to certain religious rituals and that they of course pick and choose which rituals and rules that they will conform to and they focus on the external and they focus on external conformity and yet so often they neglect the weightier matter of the law, which is love to God first. They neglect true righteousness and holiness. They, 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 they neglect love to their fellow man. Someone has described legalism as this. It's a fleshly attitude which conforms to a code for the purpose of exalting one's self. But there's a second important truth that I want to explain for you to understand. In this explanation that must be understood here, yes, understand the sin of legalism, but understand the shadow of legalism. If you look with me at very carefully, it says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. Now underline the word shadow. You see, these new believers, remember, were under attack. And Paul's saying to them, listen to what the false teachers are saying, folks. Remember, the law was merely a shadow. And the shadow pointed to the reality. And the reality that was to come was Christ. And Christ fulfilled the ceremonial aspects of the Old Testament law. Christ fulfilled the civil law. 
Christ fulfilled the moral law in thought and word and deed. And you don't become Christians by keeping these laws. You don't grow strong and be spiritual and be holy by by keeping these laws. Why? Because certain aspects of the ceremonial law were temporary ordinances. In other words, they were a shadow of things to come. These ceremonial laws were all temporary. And they all pointed forward. And when Christ died, Christ fulfilled them by keeping the penalty of the law, not only in a sinless life, but as atoning death. And therefore they became redundant. I want you to think of this. Think of a man on a journey. He's on a walk. And it's a sunny day. And he's got the sun on his back. Now what does the sun do? It casts a shadow. And before you meet the man, the shadow comes and meets you first. And you can see his shadow on the ground. Now that's a picture. The sun in all its strength represents the glory of God and the covenant of grace and redemption. The man represents the coming of the God-man. Jesus Christ is God incarnate. And the glory of God shines in him and through him. And Christ is the true man. He casts a shadow. And that shadow comes first. And that shadow is aspects, only aspects, of the ceremonial and civil law. And after the shadow comes, the substance of the man comes. And the substance is the real thing. Surely it would be ludicrous, it would be madness, the height of stupidity, to say, well, I've got all the fullness of God in Christ, and I'm complete in him, but I must chase after the shadow. Over there in Hebrews chapter 10 and in the verse 1, Paul says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Who wants a shadow of the law when the substance of the law himself has come? And the substance of the law is found in union with Christ. And in union with Christ, you've got a complete fullness. See, these false teachers were saying, here's the subtlety of it. Your union with Christ is not enough. Your Christ is not sufficient. Oh, yes, you need Christ, but you need to add to that fullness. What do you add? A supplement, which is but a shadow. Now, how ridiculous is that? Adding a supplement to something that's complete fullness. And Paul says, no, all you need is the substance. Now, that's the explanation to be understood here. Notice, secondly, the exposition that's unique here. You see, he mentions, let no man therefore judge you, And he mentions a number of things in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Now, how do we understand that? Remember what I've said, legalism is a sin. It's an aggressive evil. It must be resisted. It's the tool of the devil. And on the surface, it seems to promote holiness, but it's all a lie. 
It's full of fleshly pride. It takes away from our fullness in Christ. It, in fact, destroys the Christian testimony. It destroys the church. The legalist comes along and judges the Christian's life, judges true spirituality by external conformity to certain rules. If you think of the words, let no man therefore judge you, it infers that the false teachers have set themselves up as a judge. And they're saying to the church at Colossae and us in the 21st century, anyone who doesn't follow our rules, they're not a true Christian. They're not truly spiritual. They're not fully sanctified. What about the dietary laws? What about certain Jewish festivals? Think of this very quickly. Let no man therefore judge you in meat. Now what's that a reference of? That has to do with the dietary laws in the Old Testament. Eating certain animals, clean animals, unclean animals. You could eat a lamb, that was a clean animal, but you couldn't eat a pig. That was an unclean animal. Over there in the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, I believe it is, and in verse 10, and we'll not read all the reference. Um, it, it says, And I stayed in the mount according to the first time, forty days and forty nights. And the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also, and the Lord would not destroy thee. Now that's important. These people could eat certain animals because they were clean animals as designated by God. And they could not eat certain other meats because they were designated as being unclean animals by God. Now, of course, there was a picture and a purpose in all this. The unclean animal represented sin and defilement. The clean animal represented righteousness and holiness. And the uh, whole purpose of this was to point to a, a sanctified, separated, holy life unto God. That God's people were different that God's people were separated unto the Lord. But remember in the New Testament, think of Peter in Joppa. He's in the house of Simon the Tanner, Acts 10, verses 10 through to 16. He saw a vision, all kinds of animals, clean and unclean, and he heard this command, arise, kill, and eat Peter. No, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. Now, it happened three times. And that vision, of course, was to teach him this, that Christ has broken down all social barriers. And it persuaded him to go and associate with the Gentiles in the house of Cornelius, because there no longer was a social barrier. Why? Because Christ, the substance, had come. John 3 and 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And there's the worldwide call to Jew and Gentile to repent before God and to believe the gospel. And everyone is found in Christ, united to Christ. Remember in John chapter 10 and verse 17, the Lord Jesus himself said this, um, and other sheep I have, John 10 and 16. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. 
Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. You see, this was revolutionary in Peter's time. Esteem the Gentiles. Don't regard them as unclean. Don't regard them as dogs. Why? Because Jew and Gentile, bond and free, were all one in Christ. There's no distinction now. There's to be no discrimination. No man is inferior. And regardless of the color of a person's skin, the station in life, if that individual is in Christ, he's a brother and sister. And we're all in union with Christ. And therefore no man is to be judged. Let's think of this reference to drink. Let no man therefore judge you in drink. This, I believe, is connected to the Nazarite vow to abstain from alcohol. Think of Samson. Think of Samuel. Think of John the Baptist. The Nazarite vow from his mother's womb. A Nazarite vow was connected not to drink wine or to strong drink or even to eat grapes. And I believe that this, of course, is not mandatory. This was a voluntary abstinence uh, for a religious reason. And, of course, the taking of alcoholic beverage today can mar your testimony and can leave you an alcoholic. And we recommend and stand for a voluntary abstinence among God's people. But it's not mandatory. It's not forced upon you. Uh, we, we, we teach you what the Word of God says by way of a principle. But what we don't force you to, to conform uh, in a, a particular way. Uh, notice the reference here, respect to an holy day. This is a reference to the sacred feasts and festivals, the Passover, the Feast of the Tabernacle, the Feast of Pentecost. Now, these feasts all pointed to Christ, the Passover, the Lamb of God, John 1, 29, uh, 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, Christ, our Passover, a sacrifice for us. The Feast of Tabernacles had to do with booze. Uh, reminding the children of Israel that they lived in tents and they were pilgrims uh, in the wilderness for 40 years and yet they tasted the goodness and the blessing of God all of that time. And it points to the booth, points to us having an earthly tabernacle, which is our body, made by God, uh, which is the house of our soul. 2 Corinthians 5 and 1. Think of Pentecost. The coming of the Holy Spirit. The first fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Ghost is the down payment. And you see, it all points to Christ. But we're not to keep the Passover as a feast or, or, or the Feast of Pentecost or, or the Feast of Tabernacles to be saved or sanctified or, or to be spiritual. Or of the new moon. And these were special religious um, times in the land of Israel where there was the offering of meat and meal and sacrifice. And, and yet the Bible asked the question, Song of Solomon 6 and 10, who is as fair as the moon? And the answer today is the Church of Christ. And you see, these new moon festivals, they're not obligatory and mandatory upon the people of God because they're pointing forward to Christ. They're picturing him. Or of the Sabbath days. Now, I have to say this, and I will preach a particular message in two weeks' time on this uh, word, the Sabbath days, because it's very, very important. This is not a reference to the weekly Sabbath. Um, remember the Sabbath is a creation ordinance established by God. 
And I totally reject those who say the fourth commandment doesn't apply today. And I refuse to have nine out of the ten commandments as taught uh, as being universal obligatory for the people of God. Here's a vital part of the moral law. And as I said, I'm going to preach on it on a separate service. It's not a reference to the Lord's day. It's not a reference to the one day and seven principle. The foundation of the weekly Sabbath, the uh, establishment of the Lord's day is connected to a creation ordinance in Genesis 2. And notice that the translators of our authorized version added the word days. The word days is in italics. Because even they looked upon the reference to the Sabbath as Sabbath days that were special days for holy rest and worship unto the Lord. We could really say special Sabbaths. And, and these were introduced by the priests and by the, the rabbis of Israel for the, the well-being and, uh, of God's ancient people at, at that particular time. And yet the Sabbath itself points us to Christ. Remember what we read there in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 10. Think of these words. We'd encourage you to underline them. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse uh, 10. Listen to the word of God. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. That, that's a Sabbath. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9. The word rest means Sabbath. For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Now think about these things. You see, the observance of dietary laws, the abstinence from drink, the participation in a holy day, new moon festival, or even these special Sabbaths, this was a reference to good works. A reference to attempting to do certain things in order to be saved, in order to be holy. I abstain from these meats and drinks. I observe these holy days, these new moon festivals, these special Sabbaths that are there. And I do them to save my soul, to sanctify my soul. And yet here's Paul's message. Not one single work that I do can save my soul or make me holy. Why? Because remember Christ's finished work. And you can't add to the finished work of Christ. And you are complete in Christ. And in Christ you have entered into his rest. And you enjoy a wonderful relationship with him. And, and you have peace and you have rest and refreshment. And you've got a full and free justification. Think of Martin Luther. There was nobody any more religious. Stuck to rituals of Roman Catholicism than he was. And yet he discovered the great truth, the just shall live by faith. And that's very important. And that's the explanation and the exposition that's unique here. Finally, and our time is gone, I want you to think of the exhortation that's undermined here. You see, this undermines the supremacy of Christ. Once you have a man-made rule that you impose upon the church, upon the Christian, and say you must observe this in order to be saved, sanctified, or spiritual. You're undermining the supremacy of Christ. Because everything before Christ was temporary. All in the Old Testament pointed forward to Christ coming. The first gospel promise, the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15, the fullness 
Galatians 4 and 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth a son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. And, and the Old Testament tabernacle, the temple with its priesthood, its sacrifices, its furnishings, the Old Testament prophets, the priests, the kings, they all pointed forward to Christ. And they're all redundant now. They're all done away with in Christ. Because the fullness has come. And the fullness is Christ. I'll tell you something else. It undermines the simplicity in Christ. You see, to embrace anything before Christ is to deny Christ. To embrace anything before Christ is to forsake Christ. Whether it's meats or abstinence or holy days or special Sabbaths. To, to go back to that, you're living in the shadow land. You've, you've abandoned the substance. You've abandoned the fullness. And Paul is saying, don't go back to the shadow lands. Don't live in the shadows. Don't let them judge you. Don't let you, you feel guilty at all. You're in Christ. And all you need is found in Christ. It undermines the sufficiency in Christ. You see, the devil doesn't want you to find gospel fullness, does he? Remember, I've given you a little mouthy question. Christ plus anything. It equals nothing. You remember that. You remember that, Matthew. You share that with your friends, young people. Christ plus anything equals nothing. But Christ plus nothing else, that equals everything. You see, it's not Christ plus for salvation. It's not Christ plus for sanctification. You think of these false teachers. You need circumcision. You need wisdom. You need angels. You need the Old Testament laws. Think of Roman Catholicism today and pray for our Roman Catholic fellow countrymen and women. We, we admire their zeal and their love for their church and, and following its teachings by and large. But we have to say they have a, a zeal and a, a, and a knowledge that, that's devoid of Christ. If I said to you, you need the church. If I said to you, you need Mary penitence and good works and the priesthood and special payments and purgatory and pilgrimages in order to be saved, in order to be holy, in order to be sanctified. I'm taking away from the simplicity of Christ. I'm refuting the true gospel. And I want to tell you, it's alive and well in Northern Ireland. And it's still here as it was in the days of Paul in Colossae. Christ plus for salvation. Christ plus for sanctification. Christ plus for, 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 for spirituality. They're adding to Christ. And it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's the holiness movement with a second or third experience, you need this or that. They're undermining the simplicity that's in Christ. And one final thought. They're undermining the sovereignty of Christ. You see, I want to say this, and I feel that this was in Paul's mind. Paul was conscious. If you think of this word, let no man therefore judge you. Underline the word judge. They were setting themselves up as a human authority. They were pronouncing these people in Colossae bad, guilty, big sinners because they're eating unclean meat. They're not abstaining. They're not observing the holy day. They are, where are they? They're not at the New Moon Festival. Get the roll book out there. Denounce them on Sunday. Do, do you see the picture? And we have to say beware of human authority. And regardless of whether that human authority resides in a man who calls himself the, the vicar of Christ, or whether it's the teaching of a council, 
or, or a pope or a bishop or, or, or even the teaching of a man-made creed. You see, we're accused that all we have is a few pews and a pulpit and bare walls. But, but we don't need anything else. We're not adorning ourselves with an ornate building. Why? Because Christ is our fullness. All that we have in him and our chief authority is rooted in the final authority of the word of God. Remember, the law is king. Isaiah 8 and 20, to the law, to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. And who is the ultimate judge? The scripture says then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Do you know that you're accountable to God? You're answerable to him. And you should bear in mind what he says. And what he approves. And what he requires. Because he's a righteous, holy, good judge. And one day we'll stand before him. And we'll give an account. And it's Christ plus nothing. That equals everything. And in that day we want to. Have him to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. And, and as we enter in, we enter in because of the fullness of Christ. Nothing else. Not in the church, in his creed, but in Christ and in Christ alone. Have nothing that undermines the supremacy, the simplicity, the sufficiency, or the sovereignty of Christ. And that's his exhortation. Let no man judge you. The Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. And for all who are online, we pray that God will mightily bless you. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to come and talk to us. In two weeks' time, I value your prayers because I'm going to preach a special message digressing slightly from Colossians. But I feel it's very important that we preach a message on the Sabbath.